This is Psalms to God, Season 1, Episode 1, Defining God. You can find transcripts for this episode at www.psalmstogod.com slash defining God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Welcome to the Psalms to God podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the concept of defining God. Um, this has been a concept or a question that I found is particularly important as we're talking to people who don't necessarily hold the same views that we do. And being that, I asked one of my good friends to come and join me to have this conversation because I know for a fact that we have very different views on religion and consequently on God and who God is. So um, without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to my friend, Walt. Tell us a little bit about you. Um, I am not religious. <laughs> go ahead and put that on the table for context as I think that is going to come into play in the conversation today. Of course, of course. So, and I'm an academic. Okay. And I don't know if there's anything else will come out as it comes out. <laughs> okay. I promise no trick questions. Um, so, I guess the first thing that I want to jump into is when you hear people say God, what is your first instinct or reaction? Like, what do you think they're talking about? So because I live in the United States, particularly the southern United States, <laughs> I really assume people are talking about the Christian conceptualization of God. And then, so like I usually start from that frame of reference, where if I do not know anything else about them, I usually think they're talking about God in the sense of a religion that believes in one God, I believe it's monotheism. So that's usually like where I go initially. And I think they're talking about an all-knowing, almighty, powerful being outside of our realm of reality. That is a, that is aligned with whatever religious they pra- religion they practice. But I usually assume that it's from the perspective of Christianity, given the United States um, the likelihood that that being like the dominant religion in our country right now. I'll use the word dominant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. statistically, I think in the world in general, the largest religions are Christianity and Islam, which either way you're going to get the monotheistic, all-knowing, all-powerful God figure. Um, but one of the things I have encountered is that I feel like people just throw out the word God and... Even from a Christian standpoint, 
I feel like people kind of are doing their own thing and the the attributes that they may assign to God kind of fit their own personal beliefs, um, I guess, if you will. As you said, like you generally assume that they mean Christian because that's the dominant religion in the US. Um, I found as a Christian myself, when you talk amongst Christians, how they describe God may change slightly whether you're talking to somebody who's Baptist or Catholic or uh, Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, um, even within denominations, maybe depending on how conservative or liberal they are. From an outside point of view, have you ever noticed this? Have I ever noticed how people define it differently? Yeah, or... Yeah, how they maybe how they talk about God that seems like they're defining it differently. Oh, definitely. So, like, actually, that reminds me of one of my probably my more favorite quotes about religion that I think sums up kind of what you're saying. So, like, have you ever heard when people say you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people as you? Yes. So, I can do that people have the tendency to. Use a definition that makes the most sense and is the most advantageous for the way of life they live and the context in which they live. And I think that comes out in like the different denominations or religions when they're trying to explain kind of what God means in their context. Where people typically don't define God in a way that would put them at the short end of that stick. Exactly. Of course, from a Christian standpoint, we are supposed to be made in the image of God, not the other way around. But like you said, I think we see that people start to try to define their own version of God based on their lifestyle or to promote their ideas or um, whatever ideas and philosophies, lifestyles, whatever it is, that is conducive to them. And like you said, as long as they're on top of that scenario, that's what they consider their God to be. But I don't think that that's how we're supposed to be defining God. Um, obviously, I speak from a Christian standpoint, but even for other religions, there are texts. Each religion has its own text. And within that text, there should be some sort of description or frame of reference for God's character or for the God that they're serving's character. And I would think that that's where most people would go. Obviously, for people like yourself, you might not. But would you agree that that's where we should find that information? If you are a member of religion, I would assume that the text that you are relying on gives you enough hints to begin framing God but I think, because language is limiting. So if you think of God as something that is beyond human understanding and beyond our realm, like our ability to describe it still is limited by the language you have. So I think that the description you're gonna get from the text is still gonna be influenced by the fact that we have a very limited language and you're gonna get a different description depending on the language. But I would say that yes, the words in the book, in whatever version you're looking at, probably will provide you with some frame of reference, but I think that would likely be different 
scriptures you're looking at, how you're interpreting the text, which text you're deciding to include or exclude in your definition. So I could say even people with the same book could come to a very different conclusion as they're trying to make sense of what God is based on the things that they're reading or not reading. Right. I definitely agree. And I think you brought up two points that are really important. One being language. And I think that no matter how hard we try as humans, we cannot comprehend who God is um, fully, at least, because that is a big concept. It's bigger than we are. And if we could understand that, then we wouldn't have any problems. Uh, But obviously we do. And so I don't think that we can really get to the nitty gritty details of that. And I think that you also brought up the issue of picking and choosing and reading certain things, not reading other things. Um, And I guess I shouldn't just say picking and choosing because sometimes it's a matter of just having not got to that point yet or having a different understanding because as you grow in your relationship with God, that understandings will change and how you interpret things will change, which also change how you view God. And so I think that's important. But I also think that it's important for us to come to some sort of baseline concept of how we see God's character. I think that's important for um, those of us who believe and when we're ministering to other people. So in the very beginning, when I asked you about defining God, the first words you kind of threw out were like monotheism, all-powerful, all-knowing, things like that. What I would ask now is, are there any other things that stand out in your mind, uh, specifically from a Christian ideal or when you're talking to people who you perceive to be Christian? What else would you think that they're attaching to God or what would you be expecting them to be attaching to God or traits and character? Yeah, so I think, um, so when I think of religion, so I usually assume, so a lot of times people don't call themselves theist, mm-hmm. but like when I'm thinking of religious, I'm really talking about people who fall in a category that you would classify as theism. So where they think of God not only as the creator of the universe, but also the sustainer of the universe. So they think that God is personal, where mm-hmm. you can pray to God, God is interfering, intervening, controlling, directing, whichever verb you want to use to describe it in behalf are in the things that are kind of going on whereas there are different conceptualizations where they either might not consider God the creator or they might not consider God to be interfering or sustaining in any way shape or form so I think that's one of the common conceptions is across the religion would be that the God you're talking about is the reason the universe is here but it's also responsible to the ways in which the universe is functioning now. And I think that once you get outside of those religions, those two characteristics aren't necessarily guaranteed to be there. Okay, so you also brought up two words that I was going to get to eventually, um, or I guess phrases, when you say personal God and theists. And I think that's also one of the things that I wanted to bring out in this conversation is that not only are we not always all talking about the same God, but we don't necessarily have the same concept of God. And so I have friends who are agnostic, leaning towards theism, and agnostic, leaning towards atheism. 
And I've noticed amongst them that there is there are these beliefs that God is not like a personal God where you have somebody that you can pray to or that he's answering prayers and actively involved and caring about what happens to us and who we are and things like that. They think that, I don't know, I guess they think that there was this force that created everything and now it's just observing or has moved on. I'm, I'm not 100% sure what they believe exactly, but I do know that there is a definite difference in those concepts of being a personal God that you can pray to versus something else. And I definitely think that changes how we see God. Obviously, omnipresence, omniscience, things like that are they're tied to him being a creator, but they're also tied to him being personal and having stake in what happens to us. So I actually looked up the definition of God in the dictionary, Merriam-Webster, if you want to check behind me. Um, And it says, the being perfect in power, wisdom, and goodness, who is worshipped as creator and ruler of the universe. Um, And of course, this is just one of the definitions. It's the first definition, which I think means it's the most widely used um, definition. And the thing that stood out to me in the definition is the concept of goodness. And I think that's really the point where people would start to differ in their opinions. I think um, most people, when you say power or wisdom, we have some vague understanding that seems to be on the same page. But when you start talking about good, um, good versus bad or something like that, that's when we really start to see things differently. So how would you apply that definition to God? Or how do you think that that's applied to God? So I more so, like I would probably describe myself as agnostic. Probably slightly leaning towards being a deist. So like the concept of a personal God is the farthest removed from kind of the conceptualization I have, if you ask me to personally explain it. Okay. So when, so I don't necessarily attach goodness to God because like it's almost like if if we assume for the conversation that we just know there is a God that is beyond kind of human understanding outside of things we consider worldly to consider something that exists in that space as either good or bad it kind of seems limited it's like if you were considering like gravity or something good or bad like it would just be it would be outside of those concepts, in my opinion, because like when you say good or bad, those are very religious thinking about something where I don't think they like it's hard for me to think of something that is inherently good or inherently bad. Where I think in some religions, I understand why that is the way to think about it, but that's kind of where it gets fuzzy, in my opinion. I don't know if I answered your question or not. <laughs> you did, you did, and I think so. That's exactly why I wanted to bring out that point because I think. When we're talking, those of us who are believers, when we're talking amongst ourselves, or even when we start talking to somebody from a different religion, we do have these concepts of things that are inherently good or inherently bad. And those things may be different within each religion or within each person's understanding of their own religion. But as we start to talk to people like you or people who are atheists um, as well, probably, 
you start to lose that concept of absolute good or absolute bad or inherent goodness and inherent badness. And I think that that's um, definitely something that we should be mindful of. Um, You know, so for instance, biblically speaking, there is a verse in Matthew chapter 19 where somebody approaches Jesus and they call him good. And Jesus's response to this person is, why call me, why do you call me good? And he informs this person that the only good person or the only person that should be attributed the word good is the father in heaven. And so we have from that biblical point of view that goodness is attributed to God. So definitely from a Christian standpoint, I see where this dictionary definition ties into how we define God and who we see God is. Um, I think that for us, it would be very, very difficult to take that out because for us, God is the author of goodness. Um, But of course, someone like you might see that differently, right? Yeah, and I think it kind of depends. Like in that context, like if you're using goodness as like a noun, I mean that's different than if you're only thinking about it as like an adjective that can modify something else. Because like if you think like a person, like to like to think of like a person as good or bad is a very permanent state that is kind of different than you might say the action someone took was good or something did was bad, but you might be able to separate that from the person themselves. Yeah, so I definitely see the danger of directly applying a permanent state of good or bad to a person. But I think it's slightly different when you put it in the context of God. At least from my point of view, because I have a Christian or biblical understanding of God where God is not unchanging, that means that he can be in a permanent state and that permanent state is goodness. But I definitely agree with everything you said when it comes to people. I know that one of the problems we have within the church is this idea of assigning the label of good or bad to people and that it's usually based on actions or that person's specific actions. So we meet a person and they're doing something that we perceive to be sinful and instead of condemning the action, the whole person is condemned. That's a problem, especially when you take into consideration that we live in a society where certain sins are seen as more severe or more sinful than others. And whether that's right or wrong and all the discussion on that is a topic for a whole nother episode, but you know, there's, there's definitely that idea. And when you add that in, people start to treat people differently when they find out that they've done this or that thing, even though everybody's doing something that's bad at some point in their life. And that that prevents productive conversations from happening. And I don't think it gives out the spirit of love or the spirit of God, in my opinion. That kind of brings me to another question that I wanted to ask you. So one of the things that I've always felt like is that when we behave in what I would consider an ungodly fashion or when we are rude and um, unbecoming towards people, I feel like people take away from that that this is how God told us to behave and that changes their perspective on God. 
Would you agree or do you think that our actions have nothing to do with how people see God? I think it depends on the person. So I think there are some people who only, like if, you, if your only conception of God is through an authority figure that is acting as a mediator or, or moderator or middle person between you and God, then you will have, like your conceptualization of it is going to be very painted by it. Or if you or if you only go by what someone else has told you, then like still your conceptualization is going to be filtered through that person's lens. Correct. And I think because, like I would consider the social construct in the way that regardless of your conceptualization, it's been mediated by someone else because it's not like we live in a vacuum where no one talks about religion and you don't see religion and you kind of just came to the conclusion on your own. So it's likely the benefit, the product of observing people who are either religious leaders or people who identify with religion, cultural elements of religion that are kind of just in the air. So sometimes you might not even think about it, but there is a lot of just cultural elements are sayings, are beliefs, are the way we're talked about things, or the way we phrase things that are also associated with religion. Like I think that when you pull all those things together, like all of them are going to influence kind of how you see God, what you see as God, what you see as not God. And then I think that you can start to form a more independent opinion, but I think at the end of the day, it's still going to be influenced by other people. So I guess I feel like because um, I'm speaking from a Christian point of view and we are the dominant religion in the United States, that there's this extra burden and responsibility that is present here because like you said um you know i'm from the south you're from the south there's not necessarily interaction with people from other religions um growing up i did have a few friends who were muslim um but i was probably in college before i met somebody who was atheist or somebody who admitted to being atheist and you know i learned about totally new things and new religions when I left. And um, so I understand how we, being the dominant religion, we have this amplified platform or this amplified ability to reach people. And I think that when we don't use it or misuse it, that that can cause an issue or a problem. And I think that those of us who are aware of what we believe in, because there are some people who aren't very sure what they believe in or are following the traditions of their family and they don't really know why. Um, I think, you know, even for us, there's a journey to understanding what it is that we believe. But once we do know what we believe, I feel that there is this responsibility to try to express it or articulate it in a way that glorifies God as opposed to detracts from God and I think that is the thing that I would be concerned about so to take a different point of view so I also think that there's danger in trying to articulate certain beliefs around this concept because language is so limiting so like mm -hmm. I think sometimes people run into those contradictions when they're trying to explain in the language they have a concept that did not originate in the language they have. 
So like, there might be certain things as it relates to your spirituality or religion that you can't put into words because the English language might not allow you to. Like there are some things you could say in Spanish that you can't say in English that you can't say in another language. So I do think there are some instances where because we have that pressure to articulate or to explain or to defend or to justify exactly what we believe, people end up in situations where whether or not like they might just not have the words to actually explain the situation they're talking about. And I don't and I think some people have like if you're going to be religious, I think you have to be comfortable with that. Because if you could articulate every single thing, that means your religion your religion would have to be small enough to fit within the confines of the English language. And there's even things in science that we have to create more words for to try to get closer to it but are hard to describe. So I would imagine that if the things that the religion is professing are true, that we should expect the language people have to also prove to be limiting in many instances. But I don't know, I think but people want answers because it's not not like you can just say well just trust me (laughs) (laughs) that's definitely a valid point i mean i think it goes even deeper than that though because you know i'm looking at one of my bibles and it's it's not even a study bible which for those who don't know study bibles usually have added text into it to help you understand what you're reading and this bible is about 2200 pages and that's a lot of text to get through. So, um, you know, it's it's really hard to just have all of this in your head and understand it all at one point, just in that frame of reference. So obviously, you know, this is written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. So like you're saying, being able to fit all of that into English conceptually is virtually impossible. But also on top of putting those languages together and you know, doing the translating and getting that understanding from it. Um, There's also the fact that it was written in a different time period to different people um, at a different time. And we have to try to understand that as well. And I definitely see how having people speak on things that they can't necessarily verbalize or that they don't understand can make you know, people look crazy or hypocritical. And that's definitely not something we want. Um, We have to be okay with saying, I don't know. So I agree with you that you have to be comfortable with that. But I do think that we should be able to refine our definition a little bit, Um, at least be able to come into some understanding of what we think. So I might say something like, God is love, right? Of course, if we go back to what we were talking about earlier about language, then we would also come to the same conclusion that it's almost as equally troublesome trying to define what love is as it is to define what or who God is, Um, which from my understanding of God makes sense because, like I said, I believe that God is love. So if it's hard to explain God, it's hard to explain love. But I do think that if I as a believer and, you know, fixing my context of who God is around this concept of love, then I think that changes how I'm able to have a conversation about God and about who God is with other people. Granted, when I talk to you, your definition of love might be different. And of course, that is going to reflect your different views of who and what God is. And that will also 
change um, from person to person. But at least I would be solid in what I'm thinking and how I'm expressing it to you. Personally, I feel like having nothing to attach to God is dangerous. That's when people make things up, if that makes any sense. So are you familiar with the like idea of a conceptual metaphor? Let's go ahead and define it for everybody. Okay, so I'm giving you the non-academic Wikipedia definition. <laughs> but it basically talks about when you try to understand one idea or like conceptual domain in terms of another. So like when you say, it's like if you say God is love, what the theory is suggesting is that, and it's from a book called Metaphors We Live By, that kind of, it's from the discipline of linguistics and really kind of goes way, way back and basically makes the argument that there are very few things that we can understand without comparing them to something else. So like up, down, like there are some like very, very primitive things that you could describe without having to compare to something else. But for most things, you have to use something else that you understand in your explanation. So like if, because you can't give me a literal definition of God, it's like when you say God is love, what you're doing is basically relying on my understanding of love to enable you to explain something that you'd be unable to explain. But one of the interesting things about the theory is it talks about how like they're inherently limited. So when you say God is love, you're not being literal to the sense that everything about love is also true about God. You're more so saying that there are certain things about love that if I try to explain love, you would say, I think those things are also true about God. But there would reach a point where you would say those things about love are not true about God. But I think that's another instance where because we're so limited by language, like we have to rely on those metaphors. So like you ask someone to say, well, God is, they're going to give you a bunch of different metaphors that they're like, okay, because these are the tools they have at their disposal from a conceptual standpoint. So they might say God is love. They might say God is power. They might say God is something else. Like they, they would start to rely on the other things they do have a stronger grasp of to start trying to paint this picture for you. And I don't know if we necessarily think about language in that way sometimes, but it's an interesting read. It's not about religion per se, but it kind of goes through this idea and it's making this argument for the conceptual metaphor and kind of explaining how when we're thinking of time or we're thinking of arguments, like all of those things are understood in relation to other things, but we don't necessarily point them out as metaphors in the same way that we would if we were in a in an English class where we were explicitly saying this is a metaphor, where we're using them all the time to try to explain things like this. So I would definitely agree that we use conceptual metaphors to express the things that we can't quite put into words and that it's something we use frequently within our conversation. But I would like to throw out there and add to the statements that you made that, um, you know, when you say that if I say that God is love, that there are traits of love that I would not apply to God. I cannot think of anything that applies to love that does not apply to God. Um, I would be hesitant to say that there's absolutely nothing. The mathematician in me understands that, you know, proving something like that is a little bit tricky. But I, like I said, I can't think of anything that I would use to describe love that I would not describe God as. And I think that for anybody who's using a conceptual metaphor, this same issue would come up. I don't think anybody would say, you know, blank is blank 
if they could think of something where blank was not blank, if that makes any sense. So the person doing the speaking probably wouldn't. It's more so the listener. So like if you say God is love, in my head, I might pull up a different idea of love than you. And then I might start thinking that what you said was incorrect, not realizing that you weren't being literal in the sense that they are one end of the same. Okay. That may- I can see how... I can definitely see how from a perspective where we have different definitions of love, like I think it goes back to like you said about language and how we communicate. I can definitely see how you would come to that conclusion. Though I do, when I say God is love, I do mean they are one and the same. Because... Well, there's actually a contemporary Christian song called Love is War. Um, I guess, you know, I'm not really sure if you're asking me if I agree with the statement love is war or the concept that if love is if God is love and love is war, then God is war. But I would definitely say that I do agree that there is a sense of war. I, I do agree that war can be associated with love. And in that nature, I also agree that war can be associated with God. And the reason is that, you know, the entire concept from a biblical standpoint, the entire concept of life is about this war, the war of good and evil, with God being the good. And from a love situation, I agree that when you're when you love someone, you fight for them. And so I do think that God fights for us. So those intertwine. That's an interesting question. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. Um, so I do, okay, so I think this goes back to when we were talking about language because like you said, we'll have different definitions of love just like we have different definitions of God. But at the end of the day, I think that when we show love to one another, we are reflecting God. We're showing the image of him, which is how he created us. Um, which is shameless plug where the series will be going, but <laughs> um, but I I do think that when we say love is God, I think that the reason I would not say it that way is because of like you said we do have different definitions of love, and so I think that from a human standpoint saying that love is God emphasizes love over God. And because we typically think of love from a human point of view, um, I feel that it gives a leeway that I don't particularly feel comfortable giving. I don't know if that makes sense, Um, which is why I generally say God is love, to frame love around God as opposed to God around Wow. That makes sense. I pulled up, and it was saying that. So, in metaphor theory, it talks about the source and the target. So, the example they gave was God is Father. So they were okay. saying that there are some instances where the source and target can be reversed. So, like, and they're saying there's, but they were saying they represent two different metaphors, not a single metaphor. So, like, like you're saying, so if you said God is Father, mm-hmm. our Father is God, 
Right. Those represent two different things in your head. Yes. Yeah, and that's why I was saying that while it might feel like you're saying they're one and one, there is something about your conceptualization of both that does not actually make them one and the same. That's why I think the frustration comes from if someone says, Father is God, you're like, that means something different than saying God is Father, or love is God, or God is love. Because the second one you're using to tell you something about the first one is going to raise different things. It's like if you say that love is God, now you're using things that you know about God to explain love, which can get you into problems. Right. Or if you say God is love, you're using things that you, the good things you know about love to highlight certain elements of God, which is slightly different. Correct. Which I think basically the whole conversation boils down to language is complicated and tricky, yeah. which is why it's basically almost impossible for us to just settle on a definition of God and who God is. Yeah, this is interesting because this is this. This paper is, let me see, I can actually tell you what paper I'm looking at so you can have some kind of context. But it is called Metaphors for God, Why and How Do Our Choices Matter for Humans? The Application of Contemporary Cognitive Linguistics Research to the Debate of God and Metaphor. But one of the visualizations they show, to kind of make the point, and I was, I didn't realize that's where this paper was going until I started scrolling down and saw a picture. But they were showing how you map the two different ones together, where if you have God as Father or Father as God, they're saying on one end, if you say God as Father, you might come to the conclusion that God is male, who is more powerful than and nurtures human beings. You might say that your understanding of what a father is helps you understand that this is a powerful being that is also nurturing. Or if you went the other direction, you might know that God is powerful, knowing and loving and forever. So, like, if you said Father is God, you might say, oh, now Father is these things that I'm pulling from God. And I think that's where, like, it does get real tricky because whenever we say God is, whatever we put after the is, is bringing things about that and aligning it with what of our conceptualization of God is. And we're going to use a lot of different metaphors. Because like I said, it might be Father. It might be love. This other one had God is rock. God is a fortress. God is a shepherd. And like to different people, someone might say all of those things are true. And they all mean very different things. Which is why one of the things I was saying is that the language around it is interesting. If you've been figuring out like when you're making the explanation, like what words are you choosing to use? And I don't know if we necessarily give it that much thought usually. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with this. I think that like we've been saying, I don't think we really think about what we're saying when we say it, I think we, cause we know what we mean and we know what we believe, but we don't necessarily think about how that's going to be perceived by other people and what they're going to take away from what we're saying and how their opinions and their ideas are shaping their understanding of what we're defining. Yeah, I'll definitely check so it out. A long list. It has father, Yeah, that doesn't really surprise me because all of the things that you're mentioning are also mentioned as traits of God in the Bible. Yeah, that's what this section is talking about. It is looking at how the Hebrew Bible maps God to different metaphors. 
and the columns it looks at is and that's nothing about um, the metaphors is the theory would suggest that even with all of these different metaphors they're actually in a line they just highlight different things so this figure or table what I'm looking at would suggest that when you're thinking about God you think about protection and sustenance mutual asymmetrical relationships physical control changing of state and essence authority and then also like the power to punish and like they have metaphors that would align with depending on which element of god you're trying to highlight you would say so if in your dominant conception of god you're like god is an authority figure you might say god is a king god is the judge god is lord god is master god is father where if you were trying to think of like highlight some other element you might start leveraging other metaphors like you might say god is a refuge like that tells me something different than if you said god is king i think that just to summarize what we've been talking about we've been talking about metaphorical conceptions um or conceptual metaphors um i we've been talking about how language makes it difficult to specifically define what we mean when we say god or what our um, our idea concerning God is. And I think it's definitely an interesting topic. And I think it's something to think about as we talk to each other and as we talk to other people. And just as we think about God in our own beliefs or disbeliefs. Is there anything else you wanted to add that maybe we didn't get to or we didn't cover? Yeah, so I'll take the question in the opposite direction and say what God is not. So it's, there's a book called God Delusion. So have you, are you familiar with the concept of God of the Gaps? No. So it's basically this tendency for people to, in the absence of being able to articulate what God is, they start just putting God anywhere they can explain something. So like, if, so like let's say, for example, you don't know why it rains. You might have the tendency to say it rains because of God. So when you so like when people talk about God of the gaps, they're talking about that fallacy that when you try to assume that an act of God as an explanation of an unknown phenomenon. And the reason that falls apart is it basically puts God at contention with science in a way that as we know more science, your God becomes smaller. I would <laughs> disagree on the basis that even though I can give you a scientific explanation of how rain comes to be um from a christian standpoint or i would wager from most people who believe in any form of god standpoint that god is still the authoritative figure behind that so it rains because god allows it to rain so i would say that's different than saying it's raining because god and i think that's pretty tricky so but i do think that it's a thing from a logical standpoint it is a very dangerous position to say that god is only the things we cannot understand so your definition is not saying it's the things that we can't understand you're just saying that regardless of whatever it is god is in control yes that is yeah so that is different than saying because we don't know what it is god must be behind it you're saying that even if we know what it is god is still behind it yeah i had to just put that out there because i couldn't let it stand where it was just in case there were misunderstandings across from people listening. Um, but aside from that, I, I agree with you 
because I get what you're saying that if we're only allowing God to be the things that we can't explain ourselves or that we don't know how to explain, then over time um, that will cause people to disbelieve. Which- yeah, and I think that when some people are trying to figure out what God is, they end up in that space of God is the things I can't explain. And that's a dangerous space to be in. Right, right. <laughs> From a knowledge standpoint. Yeah, I definitely think that we're seeing this play out in society right now. And I think we have seen it play out in society historically, um, probably for a very, very long time, but definitely since the age of enlightenment, as people started to study science more and started trying to explain things more concretely, we had to reshape how people are defining God because people can explain more things. Or at least yeah, we, some, yeah, we think some, we can explain things. Might think they only see God where they don't understand something. Mm-hmm. So, so, like in your instance, you might see the rain and still see God. Yes. Someone else might only see God where they don't have science to lean on. And like, if you get in that position, you are putting God and science in direct opposition. I think that's so definitely like, if a I good point. Can't tell you what God is. I am comfortable saying that God is not the gaps. <laughs> <laughs> That is a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, Because I think that's definitely an important thing to put out there and to meditate on. Was that your final thought? Yeah, and then just encourage people to think, find the words that they think mean the most and make the most sense and be intentional. Like I think that's where a lot of people are. A lot of the arguments and disagreements stuff comes into play is people are talking past each other relying on language where language is going to fail them undoubtedly and then just not being comfortable asking people what they mean definitely and I definitely 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 want to second that last part definitely ask what people mean Um, and also don't be offended when people ask you what you mean and be okay with explaining and be okay with saying I don't know because I think that we get ourselves into trouble trying to explain things we don't know yeah people don't like to say I do not know (laughs) words. yeah Um, but I think they're words that we need to be comfortable with so that's all we have for today's episode Walt thank you so much for joining in and sharing your opinion and for bringing up some points that I might not have thought about before the conversation. Listeners, I hope that all of this was valuable to you and that you enjoyed the discussion. If so, please subscribe. That way you will get notified as soon as new content comes out. You can also go to the website for more information at www.psalmstogod.com. And if you would like a transcription of this particular episode, and or you're looking for links or citations for some of the information that we discussed and referenced previously in the episode, the specific episode will be at www.psalmstogod.com slash defining-god. It was great to talk to you guys. Hope you'll be back next time. See you again. Mm